everybody and welcome to another episode of the above average joe show we have an exciting guest for you today she is an animator that has worked on several projects and her name is alisa lewis and as always i am your host joe you are a sad strange little man and you have my pity Okay, thanks for that, I guess. Um, Elisa, thank you for being a guest and welcome. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yay! Um, so first off, you are an animator. Yes. And what kind of animation do you do? Do you have like a specific specialty that you have or do you just animate whatever they ask you? Uh, so I started out as a traditional animator. That's what I was really hoping to be when I was younger. And when I went to school, I learned that um, 2D digital limited animation is where it is at in American television. And um, while I was in school, I learned 3D, stop motion, a little bit of experimental. I love experimental animation. Uh, what I get paid for the most is 2D limited digital animation. What is experimental animation? It's anything you want it to be. Nice. Yeah, so um, my favorite animation I ever did that was experimental was carpet animation. Telling a story um, by combing carpet hairs left and right and showing two teams um, going to battle with each other and there's like this wounded warrior but it's all told through the footsteps that is insane <laughs> so with all of that animation that you do now where did you get started and how did you get into it and did you always want to be an animator or did you start as an actress and move over or do you just love cartoons and wanted to be on the Flintstones one day? Or? <laughs> I think it's really common for people in the animation industry to transition from one field into animation. Like they'll go from live action post work or they'll be, um, maybe they started out as a game designer or motion media person. But I've wanted to be an animator since I was two years old. Uh, I was watching Bugs Bunny when I was, um, see, I think it was like a, a Saturday morning thing where my mother and I were hanging out and Bugs Bunny was being drawn to life by an animator. And I never considered how the content I was watching was made. Watching him, you know, get drawn and jump around and interact with a pencil and interact with the animator really made me think well, that's what I want to do with my life. Uh, my dad was in the military, moved around a lot. Uh, we went to small town, to, you know, base town, and I couldn't really learn it um, professionally that way. So I would practice on my own and do a lot of things that I thought animators did. But when I finally got to college, um, I ended up going to a college that wasn't right for me. Uh, but I quickly learned that animation was more than just me, you know, playing around with, um, 
you know, a, a lamp under a glass table and trying to do <laughs> traditional stuff. And it was more than me working in, I think I was using MS Paint and PowerPoint to like display my animations. When I got to college, I learned about tools like Photoshop, After Effects, um, Flash, which I think now is Adobe Animate. I learned about so many tools that I'd never considered and about a lot of processes. And it was this huge world opening experience. Um, I'll say that school was a huge uh, propellant of my career, uh, but so was interacting with people who had got to be animators by a variety of ways. Cool, awesome. And you went to a couple of different schools, didn't mm -hmm. you? And what schools did you go to and where did you finally end up going that really <laughs> gave you that extra boost? So I went to a lot of uh, um, like primary schools, like elementary, middle, high schools, and they had various art programs that went in and out. But when I really started focusing on animation in college, my first college was Westland College. It's in Macon, Georgia, middle of nowhere, all girls <laughs> Methodist college. And um, they didn't have animation as the like title of what I was majoring in. I think it was studio art. But when I got into the college, they said, of course we can teach you to be an animator here. You know, admissions was fantastic and telling me about all the wonderful things I could be when I joined the university. When I got there though, uh, there was a school-wide competition uh, between the first year, second years, you know, all the way to the seniors. And I won as a first year <laughs> in my first semester and I got really freaked out. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I've just beat everyone in school, then maybe I'm not gonna learn as much. Just from drawing in your free time from seven years old, you were better than everybody that went to college. It's just, um, that's a red flag. It is, because uh, um, no, I could not learn to be an animator there. That school is great for a lot of things. Animation is not one of them. Uh, my cousin ended up going to the same college at the time, and she told me about Savannah College of Art and Design. I never heard of them. They never popped up in our searches. The Atlanta campus was actually just opening, so that's why it wasn't in our searches. And that is SCAD for some of you that are listening. Savannah <laughs> College Art and Design. Yeah, SCAD. some people only know it by one name. <laughs> some only know it by the acronym. Uh, so uh, I signed up and went there. I absolutely was no close to being the best. <laughs> um, I could absolutely learn to be an animator. We had professors who had came straight from Disney, worked on you know, movies that I'd watched when I was younger and current ones. So we did have a lot of professors that came straight from the industry. Who are some of the professors that you had that you got to learn under? Like, what did they do? What projects? Like, uh, we had Tina O'Haley. She came straight from Disney. She'd been there for over 10 years. We had Greg Azoparty. He had just worked on Brother Bear, and he had just turned down a, um, the Frog Princess movie. Uh, to work at SCAD and he was talking about the process of making decisions in your career and how you should brand yourself. He just came with so much business savvy. Wow, that those are some great people to learn from. Yeah, it, it was great. They were very supportive, um, especially Greg, uh, because I was not the easiest student to deal with. <laughs> I always wanted to explore, especially as, you know, I have this experimental animation heart. I want to try new things, do things that are um, not as conventional. And we had our curriculum, which is set up in a very, you know, strict way. You need to use this program to complete these exercises. 
And he would let me, you know, go outside of that a little bit. And I know that it didn't reflect positively in my grades, but it did reflect positively in my experience and in my portfolio. And honestly, I wouldn't have gotten, you know, my first big job um, working for FX's Archer if he hadn't let me explore. Uh, there was a program, well, there is a program, Adobe After Effects, that I had to know to work at that studio in the animation department. And we were learning Flash in the class, and it was just Flash. Everyone only touched Flash. And I asked him if I could explore with After Effects, even though it was highly um, untraditional when it comes to character animation. And he said, yeah, if you can, you know, do the extra work too. And I took um, two extra help sessions in one professor's class to learn about the buttons and the whole, um, you know, mentality behind the program. And then uh, started training on my own. And yeah, I started working with them with that program. But if I hadn't learned that program and just learned Flash, I wouldn't have gotten the job there. That is amazing. And then you also worked with Asifa mm -hmm. while you were at SCAD. Tell us about Asifa and what you did with them. Yeah, so Asifa, uh, so it, it's an acronym, A-S-I-F-A. <laughs> SCAD loves their acronyms. <laughs> yeah. So it actually wasn't part of SCAD. I got contacted while I was at SCAD. Uh, so Asifa is an acronym. It's like Association de Something Something. It's all in French. And in English, it boils down to Animation Society. And it's an international one. Which you don't want to call your company ass. <laughs> no. No. Um, uh, so I was in an organization called the SCAD Atlanta Animation Society while I was at SCAD. Uh, I started out as a secretary and then I became the president. And while I was the president, I got contacted by the president of ASIFA. Uh, he wanted to reach out. It was Brett Thompson. He's well known here in Atlanta in the animation community. Uh, he wanted to know if I was interested in helping ASIFA or if it's anything ASIFA could do to help the SAS group. And I was a little freaked out at first because I wasn't used to leadership in the arts. Uh, but he was really supportive and encouraging and um, really helped me get into the organization. When I was there as uh, the vice president under Brett, I will say that we had a core team of maybe 17. A lot of the things that we did involved uh, um, like um, is exquisite corp drawings in bars. Like we would uh, have one table where someone would draw something and then we'd be passed corp to another drawings person. Corpse drawings or corpse drawings? Did I? Corpse, yeah. C O R P S. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so not like dead bodies. Yeah, spelled like dead bodies, but not dead bodies. Okay, so what is corpse drawing? It's an exquisite corpse. It, is... it means that one person starts something and another person adds to it and then another person and it, it's just it oh, falls it's like playing something. telephone but with animation. Yes, yes, just like that. So but with better communication. <laughs> you <laughs> hopefully, would think, hopefully. You would think you would think that one drawing would communicate to another, but you're like that wasn't a dog, that was a flower, or that was the dinner. <laughs> uh, That's so where experimental animation comes in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is a form of experimental animation. Uh, so we would do that, we would put on screenings, there was an event called Blowing Smoke, another one called Roll Your Own. Um, it was really focused on the local community, and uh, um, I joined that organization with the hopes of just supporting whoever was in leadership. I was offered being president, but I really didn't have the money for it, because one of the things about running an organization is that, especially one that um, doesn't ask it, the people who benefit from it, you know, they don't ask for money. 
like often at all. If it's anything, it's a very small amount. And so um, a lot of the people who are on the board or who are on the team have to pay for things out of pocket. And the president pays the most out of pocket. And it was like a few grand. And I'm like, I do not have mm. that as a student. <laughs> yeah, as a student, most people don't unless they've got rich parents. Mm, I, yeah, it's just... Or if they're coming back from yeah, working already. I completely agree. It's got to be something like that. Uh, or the lottery. But our secretary, <laughs> she is not only amazing, but she also can afford to be president. <laughs> um, and that was Fatima Abdullah. She is so organized and so focused and could definitely take a lot of the ideas we had for Asifa and just, you know, run with them. So I was vice president under Brett and then vice president under Fatima. And the team really whittled down after that. You have people who are loyal only to the person they're working with. So we had to start from the ground up and really was a core team of first just two of us. And then we had another person join, Jeanette Gregory. She was just a, a really supportive person. She would do anything to make sure that we had what we need. And so I would say this trio, and then um, we had some people who would come in and out and really support um, the organization. I would say we never had more than five or so people at a time. Um, but we took it from a really small, you know, friendly, warm, homely group to um, the largest animation society in the Southeast, where now our members can vote in the Annies, which is the equivalent of the Animation Oscars. That is awesome. That is wonderful. That is something to be applauded <laughs> for all of you. Yeah. That's not something that just anybody can go in, take the position, and do. No. Because most people will go in and coast. Yeah. We worked for, I think we worked together for about seven years. So it was a lot of hard work, especially since we both um, were working full-time jobs. Like, I was in school, and then when I wasn't in school, I was, it was like during the recession time, and I was looking for... Um, whatever work I could get, and then I was working full-time. Just all these transitions were happening, and we still were, you know, roughing it out to make sure the organization continued to prosper. And that is a huge testament towards your guys' drive and just wanting to improve whatever you're working on to make it better, which is the way to succeed in this industry. You can't be the same. You can't be stagnant. You have to improve. Mm -hmm. You have to keep improving. Which, when you take it from five members to hundreds of members, that's improving. It, it's a lot of people now. I don't know what the member count is. I know that it's more so like the, the people who show up, not just the people who officially will pay and say, I'm a member. Um, but having the amount of events and whatever the list of qualifications are for you to have your organization be whatever it is. We had to take a lot of photographs and documentation of what we were doing. And you've now actually put it on the same level as the California animators to where you can all vote, mm -hmm. which is amazing, too, because it used to be just California influences everything. Yeah. Which just Hollywood in general, well, the film industry, I shouldn't say Hollywood. <laughs> We're the Hollywood of the South, as we've named <laughs> ourselves. But the film industry, we keep pushing ourselves and we keep growing and we want to be equals with Hollywood, and once we started filming more films than California, we knew we made it. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to compete with, and it's not even competing, I want to say to get on the level of, like, Asifa Hollywood. They're a huge group, and they have a lot of talented people 
driving the organization. And then there's Asifa East in New York. And we all support each other. We all share films. We all interact with each other. But we want all of us to be elevated. So for an organization that was smaller here in Atlanta to grow to something that, you know, could actually be on a similar level. It's not like, oh, these larger yeah. groups have to always extend a hand down to the, <laughs> the smaller groups. Yeah, and now they recognize you and they have respect for you because you've accomplished so much stuff, which is, it's got to be a good feeling. It is to great. To know you started from five people to something that the entire industry acknowledges you as being creative and talented at. It, it is great. It is fantastic to, you know, be a part of something that's international where we all can support each other like that. Has your child's potty training gone down the pot? Same old cereal targets just not working anymore? Introducing the brand new Toy Letters! It may look like regular cereal and fancy alphabet shapes to the untrained eye, but these are so much more. Each quarter-inch letter, when it comes in contact with toilet water, will release a pocket of air that will cause the letter to vroom across the toilet water surface like a duck, and when doused with just the right amount of urine, will sink like a battleship. No ship, Sherlock. That's right, no battleship. And then while you went to SCAD and ASIFA, then where did you go from there to finally end up working at Archer? So I was at Georgia Public Broadcasting um, working there. That was like my first television job. And then the recession hits. There's a huge like let go. I think like 200 people on the second floor just get let go. I'd never experienced The entire it. floor? Yeah. Wow. I had never experienced something like that. I've seen black and white photos of recession times, you know, the great... Back in the 20s. <laughs> yeah. The dust balls going yeah. by. And... So I, I've heard of things like that before, but I didn't think I would ever experience something like that. Um, I didn't understand what it meant for people just to not want work from certain people anymore. Um, it really set in the fact that art is a luxury, we're not doctors. We're not firefighters. <laughs> we're not saving lives here. We're <laughs> we're selling people things that they technically don't need. It's entertainment. Yeah. It is, um, it is beauty. It's it's a lot of things. Um, but life saving, necessary. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a little on the fence about saying that. Even <laughs> as an artist, who's been an artist my whole life. Um, so recession hits. I don't know what to do. There's so many side jobs that I do, you know, uh, that might be my Caribbean background is that we have like a million side jobs. <laughs> I do hair. I, um, I can do office work. I ended up working part. Well, no, it was like part of it was at a yogurt shop. The other part was at Mop uh, Mopac, which is like a construction place, but both of it was full time. So I was working 72 to 80 hours a week. And I did that for seven months. It was the most stressful seven months ever. Even more stressful than school because um, it was like I would take a nap in the car uh, <laughs> as I was being driven to my I've next done job. I've lives before. Oh, yeah, those hours are insane. I couldn't even drive myself because I was so exhausted from one job to the next that my mom would drive me and I would fall asleep and then I'd get up for the next job and go work a full shift and then... 
she would come pick me up because there's no way that I could get myself home. Uh, and I ended up getting shingles from the stress, and I still have the scar on my back, uh, which reminds me, like, <laughs> recession-proof yourself, <laughs> or else you'll get another scar. It shows that you're indestructible, scar. too, though. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you'll do you're what you resilient. have to do. You bounce back, and you you make it through. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I, I mean, I love that yogurt shop job. Um, it's nothing better than eating yogurt and saying hello <laughs> to people, but there's also a lot of hard work that goes into it, jobs like that. Um, so while I was working there, I was still working on my portfolio because you have to keep improving. Honestly, you can't rest on your student work if you think you're going to get in the industry. And especially in animation, because that changes so fast, yeah. too. Even growing up watching the old Scooby-Doo, and now I watch the new Scooby-Doo, it's a completely different type of animation. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a different style. It's a different creativity. It's... Where it's getting made, all of that. So, um... While I was working all those jobs and um, like doing stuff on the side, working my full times, I still was working on my portfolio. And I remember I would only have one half day off every week. And I wanted to make sure, no matter how tired I was, I wasn't going to give up on being an artist. So I would, I didn't have a computer, I didn't have a smartphone, I didn't have anything like that. But I did have paper and I did have, you know, pencils and pens and that kind of stuff. And I do have a window and the sun does come through it. Uh, so <laughs> I put, and you know, you go back to the low tech, um, you put the, the paper up there, you do your traditional animation that way. And I would run animation tests. Um, I would make tiny stories really short cause I wouldn't have time to really, you know, put all my energy into it. And my mom had a phone that had a camera on it. So I would take pictures of it and, I had gotten, I don't know if it was McDonald's or Burger King or what kind of uh, fast food place it was. I remember I splurged and got the, the kids meal toy <laughs> that was so like <laughs> strapped for, for money. I was not eating out, but when I saw that toy, I just knew that it would, it would really help. And it wasn't like a toy that looked like it had characters all over it. It was solid black. It was, <laughs> it was, it was a nice, um, So you got an player. iPhone from McDonald's Happy yeah. Meal. <laughs> I got a, an iPhone that can hold like maybe two megabytes worth of data <laughs> and had only, the only function it had was play. <laughs> so I, so it's like an iPod. Yeah. Essentially. It's like that. It's like that. So I, I put the pictures from my mom's phone on there and I could play it because it would play the slideshow really fast and that would be my animation and I would show people that when I went to events because I still went to events. I would try to get my schedule around, you know, at least, you know, four or five times a month to be able to go to an event where I can network and still look for a job in my industry and I was still doing a CIFA. It was difficult. Like I will say when you're crunched for time, you really make use of every moment. You realize how valuable every few minutes is. And um, I really made use of my time then. I ended up um, hanging out with the person who eventually helped me get hired at the studio, showing him my work on the player, and uh, taking animation test, going to the studio. So you got a job from this toy that you got from the <laughs> at McDonald's definitely to work helps. on a one of one of the better animations that are out there at the at this current time. I'll say I had heard about the show earlier when it first was coming out when I was still in college and I said no to the person who had told me because I thought that he was talking about like construction or cleaning up something. He was the kind of guy who's always doing activism and environmental stuff and he's like, Yeah, Archer, Floyd County Productions, you should I was just like, I'm hearing all the words and when it's being strung together, I'm not seeing art. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, you know, no, 
you know, I already had a job. So I'm like, I got a job. I should have said yes. <laughs> Dear Lord, if I had a time I like sheet. my yogurt. No, I don't want to work <laughs> at your billion dollar no, company. No, this is before the yogurt. <laughs> this is when I was working at Georgia Public Broadcasting. Okay. Like, so I had a job. I had a decent job. Um, but no, I should have, if I had a time machine, I'd go back and be like, Elisa, pay attention. Listen to the words that are actually coming out of your mouth. But when I had heard about it, it was just an experiment. It wasn't, you know, a full-blown show. And then when I got on, it was. But I got hired with 60 other artists during a hiring binge where they were taking entry-level artists. So it was perfect for me. But then after I got hired, they weren't doing, like, entry-level artists. So I felt very fortunate that I got in right at the time when I was most appropriate to. Perfect timing. Which is a lot of what this business is, too. Mm-hmm. It's just being at the right place at the right time, knowing the right people. Yeah. That, I mean, And having the right skills. Yeah. Obviously, you have to have the skills or they'll, they'll <sighs> kick you out. I mean, it just... You know what? When people say things like, don't burn bridges, I could never imagine how right that would be for that situation. So there are people who work at that studio who... You know, who vouched for me, who said, yeah, Elisa's a great person. Yeah, it's so great, Elisa. And they said all these wonderful things. But some of them, I was so close to burning that bridge. Like, for example, one of the producers used to sit behind me in my art history class, my art history class, and he would (laughs) giggle all the time (laughs) to the point where I wanted to turn around and yell at him. Was he laughing at jokes or were they like showing like old nude Matisse's and he was like... (laughs) He wasn't paying attention to the class. He was, oh, was he was just joking giggler. around and back. Yeah, there was another giggler out. who sat behind him, and they would giggle together. I called them the Giggle Twins. And, it's um, totally me in high school. Oh, gosh. And I'm the kind of person who stresses about education, so I'm focused. I'm worried that I won't remember every word coming out of someone's mouth. And he's giggling, and she's giggling, and they're like, hee, hee, hee. everything's great. <laughs> Guess what? They both took that experimental job and got in on the ground floor of Archer. <laughs> and I had to wait till season three. And Aww. he ended up being one of the producers who said, yeah, definitely bring her on. I was like, oh my God, I'm so glad I kept my stupid mouth shut. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, so, yeah, good timing is great. Being prepared, making sure that you're constantly moving yourself forward and showing people that you're you're diligent about your career, but then also watching your own mouth and making sure you don't tell off people because you don't know where they're going to be or where you're going to be. That is perfect advice. And then from Archer, you've also worked on some other shows and programs. What else have you worked on other than Archer? Uh, So I have worked on uh, um, other things that some are notable, some are not so much, but what they all have in common is they're short. Uh, the reason why I went into television is because I'm impatient. I love a really quick turnaround. <laughs> I don't want to wait two to five years to see what we've all made. Um, I have gotten two to... to five years. That seems low for an animation. Oh, because don't does it? don't they usually take like seven years? I every time I look mm-hmm. and see like Disney movies and when well, they work. Well, you're talking on... about like a huge or production. Pixar, yeah. it's like Toy Story. It's been in production for the last fourteen years. Oh, sweet lord! And look at the Incredibles too. They've been working no. on that. No, those for are a those decade. are terrible examples. <laughs> no, <laughs> give yourself two to five years or so. Um, so um, I got to touch. I will just use the word touch. If I haven't stayed on it for series for the entire series, and it's just been one episode or a few shots, I'm gonna say touch. So touch Thirty Rock. Um, there was uh, God. 
where is my bio to Family help guy. me out? Yeah, I got to touch. I got to touch Stewie's shot. Um, let me see. Uh, help me, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, those were the only ones I had listed were Archer oh Family Guy God. 30 Rock. And I know you had a, a story about Bob's Burgers, but I don't know if you ever got Oh, there was a crossover show, yeah. Did you get to touch Bob's Burgers, too? For the crossover. That's <laughs> still awesome. Um, so, let me think. There was that Super Bowl thing. Uh, that was the 30 Rock thing. Um, and a lot of, like, pharmaceutical tech stuff. Commercial work, Pharrell Williams, I Am Other, did music video. Well, even with those stuff, that, that stuff helps, one, build your portfolio. Yeah. It keeps you thinking about your job, keeps your your mind fresh and on top of things, and it shows people that you are still relevant as you're working in the industry. Yeah, definitely. So you have to take those jobs. I was just listening to an interview with Rain Wilson. That was from The Office. I don't know if you've ever watched The Office. I watched one episode. It was okay. good. Dwight Schrute in The Office. And he in this interview, he's like, he's kind of describing his journey through getting all of these jobs. And he's like, with all of these little jobs, they're not losses. Mm-hmm. Even though you're thinking, oh, it's one line here, two yeah. lines there, and you're not doing anything. One, it keeps you on top of your job. But two, those little jobs fill in the big jobs. Mm-hmm. So you get a big job, you take a few little jobs. You get a big job, but if you take small job, small job, small job, instead of the tiny jobs, you could lose out on those big jobs. De- like Archer was an experiment, and then it turned into a big job. It just blew up. You in, never know. In the beginning, I remember everyone was like, oh, we don't know if we're getting another season. Every single season, they said that. <laughs> and then it got um, contracted to 10 seasons. So, I mean, I remember hearing interviews with people who worked on The Simpsons. We had no idea it'd be running that long. Um, so definitely those small jobs, if they have, if you think that you like it or it may be within your brand, then definitely take it because you have no idea how far it's going to go. Yeah. And you could be the one that actually gives it that little extra oomph that pushes it into stardom. Definitely. Pushes it into the modern society household name <laughs> project. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break here. And we will hear a word from our sponsors, and we will be right back with Elisa. Following the hit success of Snakes on a Plane comes the septilogy of Sharks on a Plane, Snakes on a Ship, Sharks on a Ship, Sharks on a Shape, Snakes on a Shane, and now comes the epic conclusion coming this fall of Badgers in space! Badgers? Badgers? We don't need no mother Welcome back, everybody. We are still here with Elisa Lewis, animator extraordinaire. And now we're going to talk a little bit about my animation life. That is something you started, mm-hmm. and tell us about it. How did it start? What does it do? So, uh, um, actually, when I was transitioning away from Floyd County working on Archer, I started a staffing agency and an animation um, resource agency called My Animation Life 
I really wasn't sure what I was doing in the beginning. I had done, you know, small staffing jobs when I was like still a student, when I was um, animating at different places. So it'd been about eight years or so that I'd been doing small staffing. And that's like, you get a job, you can't take the job, you find someone who can do it, you make sure the project happens and you take your finder's fee. I think a lot of people do that and it's one thing to do it on the side and to say, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll watch over this project and make sure the people are on it. It's another thing to do it as a full-time job, which I thought it would be a lot smoother, but really <laughs> the amount of things I had to learn and do was like a tsunami wave hitting me. I had to learn contracts mm. and, you know, negotiations, uh, the whole process. What do I offer? What's my package? Do I have an entire brand, your website, your your logo, the content that goes in it? Um, what's your marketing strategy? Uh, who is your target audience? The How much are you going to charge? business side of it. Everything, Everything business side. And it's like, it's not just you doing one project and sustaining yourself. It's really easy to sell yourself as someone who can do one project. But to tell people that you can do several kinds of projects and soliciting them for work instead of them coming to you and say, hey, Elisa, can you do this? And you saying, no, I don't have time, but let me get some of my friends. That's one thing. It's another thing for you to go out and say, hey, would you like me to do this for you? I think I'm best to do it. Or do you have needs? Like that's, that's a whole different world. Uh, the first month I opened my animation life, uh, I remember getting a call from a studio in California and another one in New York. And I thought, why in the world are you contacting me? Because they were fairly large studios. <laughs> and so you got George Lucas on the phone. <laughs> I was just like, why are you contacting me? I literally just started. It's been a few weeks. Like, how would I fully know how to do anything? But I didn't want to give up a client, especially so large. Maybe I'm, you know, destined for stardom. Maybe we're going to be huge. <laughs> I remember being on the phone with them and... Uh, they were saying like, oh, we need this document. Yeah, send us that. Um, let's talk about this. Tell us, tell us a little bit about what you have in stores for that. And I remember being so overwhelmed and thinking, I hadn't heard of some of the words you're using. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't want to be like, I don't know. I don't know. This is my first time because that sounds so unprofessional. So we just said yes. <laughs> I said yes to like, yes, you say let's yes, do it. And then you figure it out. Yes, yes. We figured it out while we were drowning. Um, so it was myself, and then I had a few other friends who said, yeah, you're starting this business. You seem like you're really dedicated. Sure, we'll help out. Um, and we had to pull so many all-nighters up front. It was just insane. It was taxing. But the promise was that if we get all of this stuff in order, we can get a pretty large payout. Um, so we worked really hard. Um, I found out that the reason I was getting contacted by these studios is because we were the only animation resourcing and staffing agency in the Southeast. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was a huge shock to me. I hadn't checked if this had existed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just knew that I saw a deficit where I lived. I didn't think, you know, is it in the surrounding area, you know, maybe in another state or something like that. It wasn't. So we, we hauled, we hauled butt. <laughs> To, to work on that. Mostly what we were focusing on was employment, so making sure that artists had a fair chance to get um, hired for a job. In entertainment in general, whether you're talking live action, music, or animation, there's this room for discrimination. Uh, a lot of jobs are filled by who you know. So you've got a friend and you bring them on. I, I think the statistic is over 80% of creative jobs are never posted online. It's all filled by word of mouth. 
So totally believe it. Yeah. So you've got this huge gap that just allows for so much discrimination when it comes to people and you get studios, you know, who can benefit because everyone gets along because they're all the same, um, in one way or another. Uh, we wanted to really even that playing field and make sure that if you were talented and if you, you know, could fulfill the project because, you know, you could hit the, the price line, the timeline, the whatever requirements we had, that you would have the same shot as someone who knew someone. And we would be your, your advocate. We would vet you and then you would, you know, go to that company and do the work. And then we also wanted to make sure that on both sides, the company who is hiring the artist and the artist who is working for the company, that no one got screwed over. That we didn't have an artist who ran off with the money. We didn't have a client who decided not to pay. Uh, we would be the middle person who handled the negotiations. And we also would provide resources for artists who were trying to get into the industry so that if they needed to know, how do I present myself? What do I need to do to improve my portfolio? What is the market looking for? Anything like that, that we would help them so that eventually they could be staffed. That was a huge undertaking. It was a very fun undertaking. The company is still going without me because I am working at another company right now. But I'll say in the beginning, that was a huge challenge, juggling the three, because a lot of people were like, you need to identify yourself as one thing. You're either staffing and just staffing, <laughs> or you're education and just education, or you are resources and just resources. I mean, what do we say? There's so many people who are like, oh, are you a headhunter? Are you a, an agent? Are you a... And they were, We are multitaskers. <laughs> oh, so frustrating. Everyone... Well, I won't say everyone. I was just say a large portion of people were so dogmatic about the fact that you have to fit into whatever label that they have already, you know, established. And we didn't fit into that. But you're still around. You're still surviving, too. Yeah. Which, I don't know, to me, it feel like that proves them wrong. <laughs> it does. I, I mean, I knew they were wrong in the beginning. I was like, we don't have to fit the vocabulary that already exists. There can be a new word created for what we're doing. That's called innovation. I mean, That's called my animation life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And what kind of calls and projects contacted you for my animation life? Like the people in mm -hmm. New York or California, what are some of the calls that you get that they want help doing? I'll say the majority of calls we get are either to help place artists in studio seats. So if they are on a hiring binge and they need to get artists quickly, but they don't have time to vet everyone, or if it is a new company we get a lot of those like smaller companies that have been around for less than five years or people who are um you know thinking of creating a company and they need to like create their team they want us to help get that team together and really have a synergy between the artists that we select um uh the third set of people would be people who have never done anything creative in their lives ever <laughs> and don't want to die without their dream project being created. <laughs> get a lot of those. The ones who are like, this is my bucket list creative project. And we have done some just stuff I'd never thought we'd do. We've done action figures. <laughs> oh, wow. We've done books. We've done um, game designs. And really, we're just focused on animation, the animation pipeline. But it starts out as, yes, let's do this art, which is in the animation pipeline. And then, can you turn it into a toy real quick? Can you? <laughs> and we're already working with that person. Uh, so drawing the line on where we stop working with the client uh, has always been a little tricky. 
but I'll say the people who have never done anything creative are definitely the most fun. And the last group of people are artists who are trying to get in the industry or improve their standing in the industry. So we have usually the two extremes. The student who uh, is just getting out of school or the person who didn't go to school at all and is like, how do I get into this, you know, dream field? And then the person who's been in the field for, you know, 20 plus years has never had to look for a job. They've always had an agent and really doesn't want to start looking for their own work. They'd like for you to <laughs> fill in that, that gap of their old agent. Nice. And if they are this company or if they are the student or somebody who just wants to get into it, how do they find My Animation Life? Like, how do they contact you? What kind of information do they need to give you? What are you looking for from all of these people? How they find us is just amazing because marketing has never been my strong suit. It's <laughs> not been the strong suit of a lot of the artists that we bring on. Um, so a lot of them have found us just by searching. It's the, you know, how do I get help so I can get all, you know, the resources I need. And then they stumble across our content. We have YouTube videos, uh, blog posts, uh, interviews that have been done. We do workshops. We go to conventions all over the U.S. And uh, we also went to Canada to do some workshops in Guyana. Yeah, so we've been around a little bit. Worldwide. Yeah, we've been, <laughs> we've been around a little bit to really give people resources. So sometimes people will hear word of mouth or they'll experience something we've done, whether it was a panel or workshop, um, or they'll see our content online, either from our own content or from someone else's that we've joined. And they'll go to our website. We have forms up where you can sign up for a database, which is just, hey, if we're looking for an artist and you match, it's extremely passive. You do you sign up and then you do nothing. And you, <laughs> and you continue living your life. And then maybe if you match a client's request, we'll, we'll put you on it. Um, they also can sign up for membership, which kind of bumps you a little, a little further ahead. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Money always helps. I will just, I'll just tell you that the first list we go to before going to any database list is our member list. Um, they're the people who support us the most. We want to definitely support them. We don't want it to be like, oh, if you pay, you, you get further. Um, uh, but we definitely want to make sure our members are, you know, prioritized above, you know, people who are not as supportive. Of... Yeah, you pat your back, I'll pat, wait, I'll pat your back, you pat mine. I oh, almost gosh. said that wrong. I, I pat my own back, you know? Let's just pat our own backs. Yeah. So, so yeah, you help each other and you support each other and yeah. you, you give each other that little extra help and to make everybody succeed. Yeah, it's also the first person I think of. Like, I, I'll research on members and I'll look at their portfolios more often because I'm like, oh, this person, you know, they just gave us some money, whether it was like the $30, which is the lowest, or they gave us some more. And I'm like, oh my gosh, well, let's just look at them and see how they're doing. Let's check them on Facebook. Let's reach out to them. Happy birthday, whatever it is. And so I'm really familiar with their work. Our other staffers are really familiar with their work. So if they, you know, if a job pops up and it fits them, we're going to think of them first. And we're also going to go to that list first. And it's going to be really fresh in our minds. And then it's let's go to this huge database and see who matches. And I'm going to ask a horrible question. Mm -hmm. Have you had a company respond back and say, hey, you sent me this person and they suck? And if you've had that happen, what do you do at that point? Do you let them know? Do you try and get them to change? Or do you just kick them out of the database and they never know about it and keep taking their $20 every that's month? Funny. So um, I will say that that seems like a really tricky situation. 
I wish I could answer it. We've actually never had a company not love who we sent over. That is awesome. And we've had 100% satisfaction. They've always like been like, great art match, great personality match. And it's because we do have a large selection to choose from. And because we also do a lot of coaching. So that's like the back end. <laughs> it's like, don't embarrass us. We bring you in. We're going to talk to you about what you should expect when you're working with this client. That I mean, is wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I've had artists get on uh, like a live stream. Not live stream. What is it? Like a Skype call or some sort of um, video chat. And I'm like, well, we're going to get on the chat like an hour earlier. And, you know, I'm just going to make sure you're Coach 100%. Yeah. yeah. So we get on the camera and I'm like, whoa, that background Put your laundry <laughs> on the other side. Please go put a proper shirt on. I, I, I'm, I don't put hold back. Put a shirt on. Yeah, oh, Lord. I don't hold back only because not only this is money. Like, if you don't sell it, if they don't like you, then we're not getting paid. Um, None of us are getting paid at yeah, that point. Yeah, exactly. And I, we try to be as tactful as possible. We respect our artists, and we understand that their expertise is their expertise, and what's not their expertise is not. So coaching is important. I, we've done coaching as far as a week out, where we've been, like spent the whole week coaching them, and then they work with a client, and then you know they'll have that successful experience. And if during the project, especially for our longer projects, if anything's going on emotionally or whatever, we're there. We're like, okay, this is going on. You feel this way or whatever. Talk to us about it first. Let's let's help you, you know, give you the resources for how you can communicate whatever your needs are. And then let's keep going so that at the end of it, we're all paid and happy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you for listening to part one of Elisa Lewis. Don't forget to check out part two of Elisa Lewis where we talk about psychosomatic experiences, foraging. And you're not going to want to miss the story of Elisa Lewis and when she met H. John Benjamin, voice of Bob's Burgers and Archer. Thank you again to our special guest, Elisa Lewis. Be sure to check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitters, and look us up on Spotify, Stitcher, and or iTunes. You can also check out another podcast I co-host, The Extra Unordinary, and other great media content by Moon Possum Productions at moonpossum.com.